0: Hello and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen and whoever else is listening, you know who you are. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for listening once again. My guest today is Adam Coleman, author of Black Victim to Black Victor. Identifying the ideologies, behavioral patterns, and cultural norms that encourage the victim mindset. We talk about how the disconnect of the family and disregard of common sense ideas has led to the slow decay of not only the black community but many others as well. Well, thank you, man, for uh, for coming on. I appreciate I appreciate the time, and and uh, want to give just give a quick shout out to old Dexter Pitts from the I Am Pitts podcast for uh, making the introduction. So it's been uh, it was me listening to that interview that made me want to reach out to you
1: I appreciate about it. this
0: about this phenomenal book that's making waves everywhere I, uh, I see, <laughs> is, it, you, is it making see, waves it's making waves well I see you popping up on some pretty uh you know not some little no-name uh shows like mine you know you're getting some <laughs> some, some good air time there so that's awesome it's it's good it's really good Thank so you. so let's just yeah this is your story your book you know tell me uh, you know, kind of like the why behind it and I didn't finish it. So I haven't done all my homework, but I'm loving what I'm seeing, man. It's, it's so needed. It's like, you're the, uh, you know, the little kid on the emperor's new clothes pointing out the obvious <laughs> that's, that's yeah. there. or maybe, maybe not so obvious, but so, yeah, maybe just tell my, tell my people and the why behind it and how we can, how all of us can be better at, uh, at making sure that this, this doesn't, you know, this ideology doesn't stick around, I guess.
1: Um, so the why behind it started with um, George Floyd. Um, I wanted to write a book talking about how I felt about the narratives that were coming out, because um, around that time, it went from talking about that s- scenario to extrapolating it to all the way at the end, this is the this is the fear of every black male and you know it, it's that kind of um is that kind of rhetoric that i wanted to push back on and obviously saying that racism is this top priority for black americans that we're we're always concerned with and the reality is our concerns are just like everybody else's concerns we care about safety we care about economics uh, a lot of us care about immigration you know we care about much of the other things that um, Americans care about. so I, I just I wanted to push back on the narrative, but I also wanted to kind of answer the question of what's what's the biggest issue facing most black Americans? And that's why I think family is the biggest issue. Um, and specifically uh, the separation of men from the children. Um, you know, we talk about single parenthood. I define single parenthood as unwed mothers who have children, um, not divorcees. I think it's a different different scenario. You know, it's different, but there, there can be similar uh, kind of ramifications for children, depending on when they divorce and so on and so forth. But specifically, I'm talking about women who are unmarried, who have children, uh, one or more children with someone else. That's basically it. And that was, a, that was my childhood. Um, growing up without my father Uh, my father was always in a relationship with someone else Um, so he was not really in my life
0: he kind of tore up his parent card I think it's fair to say
1: yeah Um, you know it's interesting whenever I talk about it you know I get it like sometimes guys would be like yeah, you know, there's two sides, and you know, we, you know, there are situations where the mother's keeping the father away, and I'm like, I totally get that. Um, when I was 21, I tried reaching out to my father. Um, he just wasn't interested, and it just kind of it confirmed to me like my mom wasn't trying to keep him away. Like we moved, but we moved because my mom found another job and needed help and was going to school and doing all these different things. But my dad wasn't wasn't really there even before we moved. like i don't I don't have any memories of like hanging out with my dad, you know, when I was like five or anything like that. Like I know I was young, but you know, if that was a scenario with me and my son, I, my son would know that I cared about him. Like I would talk to him all the time. I'd reach out, ask him how how are things going. I'd hear from my dad maybe once or twice, and I'm not even sure I heard from him because he was calling to speak to us specifically. He might have been calling to speak to my mom. I have no idea. But oh, well, how old were you when he abandoned the scene? 16. Uh was the last time I saw him.
0: But prior but did he leave when you were 16 or was it before? He, it was he non-existent. Oh,
1: he was like never he was ne- Oh, never around. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um we to to go back a little bit. I was born in Detroit and we left Detroit when I was about five years old. Um, but that's what i was saying. Like, I don't even really remember my dad coming around a lot, but my, my father was always married. That's the whole thing. You know? So my mom was the other woman. So him being involved in my life would have been extremely difficult. I'm assuming his wife knew about us. So I don't know for sure. Um, but for him to have an active role in our life, uh, wasn't likely to happen. And I think there are opportunities for my father to show that he cared. I completely understand situations where fathers are, are pushed away and kept away, but there was never an ongoing court battle. My my dad paid child support through the courts. That was essentially it. I would see him seldomly. And even, even down to when, when my father would come and see us, it was because it was, uh, we were on our, he was on his way to go and get fabric because he was a uh, he was a tailor. So, you know, when we were living in upstate New York, he would drive from Detroit to New York City. And so he would stay with us, you know, for a day or two as he's going to New York and getting fabric and seeing people that he knows. And you know, he wasn't there to see us. He wasn't driving to New York to see his children. It was like, since I'm on the way, I'll stay with my old fling. I'll stay the night and have a place to stay, you know, and that kind of thing. And and yeah, my kids are there. Um, But my father would always leave in the middle of the night. That's the thing that always sticks out to me. I would never say goodbye to my father, never. He would always leave in the middle of the night and drive to wherever he's going. And I think to myself, I would never do that to my son. Like if I rarely saw my son, like you want a high and a goodbye.
0: I at don't least. care if it's
1: like, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't care if it's like, well, I want to go early in the morning so I can mistrap. No, nah, like you want to say goodbye to your kids or at least like make an effort to say goodbye to them before they go to bed. You know, that's passable for me, but he would never do that. I would wake up and he was gone. And that's almost like he's yeah.
0: afraid to like, almost like he knew, like he knew what he was doing wasn't right. And didn't want to face it by looking at you guys and having to explain while he was leaving or something. Maybe I, who knows, who knows the reasons so I guess. you I don't never know. know.
1: Yeah. I, I don't, I would never know. Uh, my, you know, my father passed away of, I don't know how many years now. COVID messed everything up. It was like four, four or so years ago. Um, and, you know, I think, throughout the time of me last speaking to him when I was 21 and and basically saying like, I'm not going to try. Like if my father was to reach out to me before he passed, I would talk to him. I would have a conversation with him and, I, and I'd and i be open to forgiving him, you know, if that's what he was looking for, but um, he never tried. And I never ignored his calls or anything like that. And, and so for me, it just confirmed that my father really had no interest and having a relationship with me. I know my sister tried more than I did, and I think she was disappointed more so because she tried with someone who didn't really have a strong interest. Um, so I think that's that's the essence of our, our relationship, but I really don't believe my mother tried to keep him away. Um, I remember times when my mom would say, it's Father's Day, you should call your father, you know? Uh, you don't do that if you're trying to keep your your kids away, you know. So that was that was the essence of my my relationship with my father, and even more so the exclamation point to it when my father passed away. I found out about three months after he actually passed away. So you know that says everything right there. So I, even if I wanted to attend his funeral, I I never had the opportunity. That's how much of a disconnect was between us. And the family, the rest of his family, I only met his side of the family one time. Um, I met my cousins, and I met his mother once. So that that's basically it.
0: It's interesting. I, I grew up in a Brady Bunch family, and hmm. my step-siblings, they had a a sperm donor that would swoop in every year or so throw some gifts at him and then be gone. Mm -hmm. And my father basically, you know, raised all of us together and that their bio dad never reached out. And then when he was dying, he wanted, he wanted his wife to reach out to my brother and he, like he couldn't even, you know, put a little effort in to try to reach out. He had his wife do it. And my brother's like, he knows how to reach me. And if he, he can call, but I'm not, I'm not going to see him. I'm not, I don't care because he never cared. And it's, and you know, it's, it's a sad, you know, you know, and no race is a monopoly on, you know, less than favorable dads, but anyway.
1: Exactly. No. And, and actually that's, that's ultimately the point of the book is that this is a, this is an American issue and the, the, the family disconnect has become a bigger problem. So, like, it might be exaggerated for Black Americans, but there are tons of White Americans who are experiencing the same situation. You know, I'm not a mathematician or anything like that, but uh, if we were to say 70% of Black Americans uh, grow up in a single parent home, we are 13% of the population. But then you look at White Americans. I want to say the number is about 35% single parenthood rate, and you guys are the majority racial demographic yeah that's a lot of people and this this is a really really big problem that we're facing but it's also a point of reference that anybody can understand um and i've had people from different demographics different um different countries read the book and tell me how you know i had a similar upbringing i had my, my cousin's going through the same thing. you know, all these different ways that we can kind of see like this is a human, uh, a human type of connection, a human issue. Um, and, and family to me is the the start of everything. So you know, our society breaks down when the family breaks down. And I think there are aspects of our society that are clearly breaking down, and they're showing itself in violent ways, in in depriving ways. You know the children who who you know for example we have tiktok where all these teenagers and 20 year olds who are showing themselves as this new identity right but they're the children without a without a cause they have an identity crisis and they're just you know attaching themselves to something right something that feels like it gives them gives them purpose and i talk a lot about purposeless males you know they're they're uh they're kind of dangerous. You know, a man who has no no purpose in life, you know, we're doers. We do stuff, right? And that that feels good to be associated with something. You know, if you're a mechanic, I am a mechanic. It's it's part of my identity. And you associate with other mechanics and you're proud of whatever you do because you're you're being beneficial to society. Well, what happens if you're you have no purpose and you have no beneficial point for society? That is why we look at Young men who commit suicides, you know, there, you know, there's a higher rate of suicide coming from single parent homes. You have all these negative areas in our society. Incarceration majority come from single parent homes. So it's not a guarantee of anything, but there's something there. And I, the way I kind of see it is like, uh, you could smoke cigarettes and live a complete healthy life and die at the age of eighty five or you could smoke cigarettes and die at 50 from lung cancer but smoking cigarettes increases that as a possibility of dying from lung cancer so i see single parenthood as increasing the the negative outcomes in our society that we would all accept that this is a negative outcome it increases the odds of it happening so that's that's kind of how i how i vision it
0: how dare you speak such evils that the family is <laughs> a good thing?
1: I know. It's a radical concept.
0: <laughs> and I bet you're getting a lot of blowback from just stating the obvious, really.
1: Um, or no? not really? How's, how's it being received? It's been well received, to be honest with you. Okay. I think... So this this goes into a different area because I, I was like you, I was like, all right, I'm preparing myself when I start talking about these things, people are going to push back. But then I realized like from talking to people going out there and just kind of like looking at like Twitter as a microcosm of something that is like small, extremely small, and it's a hyper reality. But when you go and talk to people, like I wrote my book and I was working at my job and I would tell people what the book is about. And they're like, yeah, I completely agree with you. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, any rational human being would be like, yes, you're right. Like, this isn't really a controversial point. And so when I go out there and I say, hey, fathers have value, and here's what it was like for me to grow up without my father, and here's what's like for me to go from growing up without my father to raising a young man, I get no pushback on it. You know, there's there's nobody. I, the only thing that someone has ever given me pushback was uh, I don't really read reviews anymore or look at comments per se. I look at if people send me emails, so I kind of take that as the the measuring stick. If someone's angry enough to send me an email, then that's how that's how I kind of yeah. measure it. And they thought about I'll, it. Yeah, they've thought about it and they're angry and type it out. But um, Someone wrote a review on this one website and they said the book was starting good until I talked about feminism. And then they were like, he's blaming black women for everything, blah, blah, blah. Three paragraphs. And then they're like, the rest of the book was really good, three stars. (laughs) So I thought that was- Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, so I thought that was hilarious. Um, But no, as far as pushback goes, even for any of my other writings, I'm, I'm really big on communication. I'm really good on filling in those areas where someone could be like, but you didn't mention, well, you're excusing, you know, all of these buts, you know, and I, I'm really good at uh, making those points so people don't do that. And if they do, I say, did you read the article? You know, because I clearly said those things. And it's easy for me because I realized that I'm a pretty middle of the road common sense person. Uh, you know, I have my biases, but I try to be honest with myself and be like, you know, if it's wrong for them to do it, it's wrong for these people to do it too. You know, I'm I'm trying to be fair when I write stuff, um, and I'm trying to be logical. So no, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't really write red meat stuff. And, you know, even the book, the book is a good faith book in the introduction, I say, if you think at any point that I'm hateful, stop reading this book. I'm being critical, I'm being critical because I care. So the the amount of negativity that someone would associate to what I'm writing about is extremely low to the point where I don't think anyone's actively written me an, uh, a, an article, or I'm sorry, written me an email or anything like that about my book. Never, I've never gotten, I've gotten stuff for articles. But I've never gotten anything for the book. Negative.
0: Because people actually have to read it. <laughs> we're so yeah. busy trying to dysfunction and survive. But um, yeah, you know what wh- you were talking about because you all you always hear about fatherlessness mm-hmm. in America, and I've heard you know you've been hearing that for twenty, thirty years, more so now. And I always thought, is that is that dissing on single mothers, you know, and I don't really, I don't know if you're not know yeah. asked the question, but like they can't do it. And it's like, without the dads, a kid is incomplete. That's kind of how I always looked at it. It's like, is that what it's saying?
1: You know, does that make sense? No, it does make sense. So in some ways, yes, in some ways, no. Is it, is it a critique on, on the women? depends on the situation there are women who actively do not want to get married they just want children right my mom was that person i've asked her this as an adult she said all i knew is that i wanted children and she had no interest in getting married so she got exactly what she wanted she wanted a boy and a girl she didn't want to get married she wanted those kids this is her mentality this is what she wanted and so for me it's kind of like um it's kind of like if someone said, "I want the substandard for my child, right? It's like, well, what you love your kids, Would't you want to put them in the best possible situation? No, just good enough. You know, that's what I hear when I hear that. And we all know statistically. now there are there are areas where I'm like, all right, I get it because I, I am I would be a hypocrite to be like, um, to ignore that I committed the same thing. You know, my son and and his mother, uh, my son's mother and I never got married and we don't live together today. We co-parent, I'm active in his life. But even in that situation, people will be like, oh, at least you're, you're there and you're co-parenting. It's like, yeah, but I'm always behind. Like, I don't have the influence like I really want to have. And, and I have a good amount of influence with my son. We have a good relationship but it's not the same that we don't live together. And I I hear so many people be like, you know, the single parenthood number, right? We say 70% and people push back. Well, it doesn't mean that the fathers aren't active in their lives. I was like, yeah, but why are we accepting subpar outcomes? Like, why is that okay? Just because they're active doesn't mean that this is a good situation. Doesn't mean that they're as involved as as, uh, necessary. There have definitely been times where I think I'm involved, and there's stuff that's going on that I don't know about, like because I'm just not there, and then I'm finding out much later because I'm not there. I'm not an active father in his life the way I really want to be and the way I should be. So even for me who who writing this book talking about the importance of fathers, that I'm trying to I'm trying to basically make up for the situation that I put my son in. Which I know I put him in a negative situation. You know, his mother remarried, or not remarried, but she got married um, when he was young. And thankfully, he was fine. He treated my son fine. but there are plenty of situations and in, in the statistics are shocking of what happens to young men who go in a house with a a, a non um, biological male figure living there. Right, basically a step parent and what can happen in that situation. Obviously, there are good step parents, nothing happens, my son is that situation, but I can't deny the statistics. And what if something did happen to my son? And I'm part to blame because I put my son in that uh, particular situation. So I'm I'm thinking at it, I'm thinking about it from all these different perspectives, where having my son here every day alongside his mother allows for him to see how you properly interact with women, how you, uh, how you treat women, um, how women should treat you, assuming that this is a healthy relationship, all these different things. He's not seeing that from me, you know, on a day-to-day basis, he's getting a glimpse of it because now I'm married and he sees it a couple, couple days a week when he's here and now he's older. So it's, it's a, it's definitely a position where I'm constantly catching up. And I think a lot of men who are in a similar position as me feel the same way, where they're always behind as to what's going on. They always have to call to find out what's happening. You have to do all these extra steps. And that's not ideal. That's not ideal for anybody. And my son is healthy and relatively well adjusted, but he's like any other kid. He has his issues. And there are times that We could have stemmed the tide if i was there if i was active in his life on a day-to-day basis like that's how kids kids aren't uh kids aren't a weekend project you know and i think our society has been like well it's good that you have a weekend project it's like no i'm supposed to be active in his life every day his mother is active in his life every day why do i get the good job you see him on the weekends Right. And we have this like subpar standard that we're perfectly fine for for men as far as raising their kids. It's like, well, at least you see them every week. I know someone who only sees them uh, every other week, every other weekend. Right. It's just this lowering of bar uh, expectations for fathers and this lowering of. um, Basically critical uh, criticisms laid towards women who helped to create this situation too, who have no problem with this being the situation. And so when you ask, is this a shot at single mothers? Yes, sometimes. It's technically a shot at my own mother who wanted this scenario from the beginning and she got it and look at the, the issues that I had to go through as a young man, not having that father figure, right? Not even being able to say, I see my father every week. Right, and then being slightly handicapped, but not having my father there, she chose an unavailable man. Like, how can I not be critical of that? So, do you think that effect that
0: growing up with that situation led you to just make the decision with your own son that you did, or was that it was like it was like was it a subconscious thing, or did you say I don't want this, I don't want to marry his mother?
1: No, for actually. I was, we, I think we, we were, we were young. We got engaged kind of, sort of like it, it was, it was a very rocky relationship. Um, but when my son was born, everything changed for me because it no longer be, became about me. It's about my son. And I told myself, I don't want to be my father. That's, that's all I knew about being a father was like, I don't want to be my father. So I was always there. Um, you know, after she had him, you know, there's the, uh, you know, a few months that she takes off from where she went back to work and I would work overnights, pick him up from work, have him all day while she's at work, drop him off and get two, three hours of sleep. If I was lucky, four hours of sleep before I went back to my night shift job to do it all over again. I would call out of work because I was exhausted. Like that was literally, <laughs> those are the times I would call out of work. But those were some of the best times because I got to raise my son every day. I got to watch him as he was started walking, as he started getting bigger. I, I you know, this is um, early cell phone years, but I, you know, I have pictures of him, um, uh, you know, month after month as he was growing up and getting bigger and bigger. And I would give him the bottle. I would do all these things and take care of my son. And it was fun. It was kind of fun doing it. And you know, I, I just, ne- I never had that as a kid. I never had that connection, that bond with my father. And I do with my son. You know, he, obviously he was really small, but he may not remember it, obviously, but it's there. You know, I'm no stranger. He always knew who his father was, even though he had, he had a stepfather for a period of time, but he always knew who his father was. He never questioned that. I would have him every weekend. Unless something crazy was going on. I had him every weekend. I would always go and see him. We would always do stuff. You know, he would sleep in my bed with me. We had a closeness. And, you know, I, I didn't have that with my with my father. And I, I basically just wanted to be the father that I thought I would have wanted. I think that's the best way of putting it.
0: Yeah, you have two chances to have that relationship. Once when you're a kid and once when you're a dad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you
0: know which which we, we we tend to become what we didn't. Well, sometimes we we become what we hated, but sometimes we become what we didn't want. Yeah, or no. Yeah, yeah. You know where I'm going <laughs> with. Yeah, yeah. So basically, your premise of the of the book is it's it starts in the family.
1: Yeah, yeah. Everything.
0: Oh, I did. I, I remember when we reached out when when I was reaching out to you in the beginning, and I said, "Hey, could could you?" change you know the title to have any group and and still have it apply of your book Mm -hmm. you know white victim to white i mean could it could could your book apply to any group any race yeah the most for the most part yes it's a Uh, character this is a character thing a content of character to to quote that guy from years ago. What was his name? Oh Martin Luther King. Uh, yeah. That guy. Yeah. 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 Kind of had some from... kind of has some value to that statement. <laughs>
1: um yeah, so there there are definitely chapters where I'm talking about uh black cultural ideology. Right. So there are, you know, some chapters where it's very specific, but the essence of the book is it's a human book. Anybody can read it uh and any uh, people of all different demographics have read it and understood what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, I talk about the victim mentality kind of, you know, as an arbitrary thing. I talk about childhood development and psychology that fits it to everybody. So, you know, there are, there's so many things that we think are just specific to one demographic and, it, and it's a human issue. It's a human problem. Um, and, and it's something that is relatable Um, In the later chapters, I talk about um, a man that I actually got to meet. I met him online. He's in his 70s, and he grew up without his father. He doesn't even know who his father is. And we started talking because of politics, but then we started talking more personally about our childhood, what we went through. And the same lost feeling that he had, he, he went through as well. Um, he was in the military because he didn't know what else to do. You know, that's literally how he felt. He went and traveled abroad. He he was all over the place, Central America. He was just all over the place. Um, he medicated with um, alcohol, and you know he was fighting depression and all these different things that he went through because he's he basically spent his life as a lost man. He was just lost. He didn't know what to do. Um, and it took him a long time to to kind of get on the straight and narrow uh, in, in his later years, but it damaged his relationship with his children. So when we started talking, I was encouraging him to reach out to his kids either way. And I think the last time we spoke, he was able to get some dialogue with, with his son. Um, I think he has two or three kids. So one of them was receptive to it, and he's... He's trying to have that dialogue with them but you know this is a man who is white 70s military vet like we have nothing in common from that angle but the thing is we have something in common when it comes to that trauma and that feeling and, and our childhood and that's what grew us closer and and that's the human part that I, that i wanted to to highlight within the story The other stuff is just kind of, you know, it's kind of superficial. You know, what I look like, how old he is. Like he just happened to be born years before me. I I was born later. My I just have more pigmentation than he does. Like all this stuff is just kind of superficial. But at the essence of it, we're human beings and we went through trauma or we're, we're having trouble dealing with certain things. And it doesn't matter what you look like. We all go through some sort of pain. And our pain just happened to be in the same area. Because to me, content of character seems
0: so just elementary and basic that it should be, everyone should have no problem understanding that. But we seem to, this group and that group and othering and this and mm-hmm. you're that. And why do you, I mean, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but I think you're much wiser than I. <laughs> why do you think that, why do you think we do that? we we segregate just it's almost subconscious that we do that you know Uh, because you were mentioning like the black you said the black community is the only one that seems to have a need for a leader you don't you don't see it in other groups and and even even when i hear when i hear someone say the whatever community it almost like that it's it's a blanket statement for that entire group of people when in fact they're all like the black community is not all the same, the white community right. is not all the same, the Mormon community, which I'm a part of, is not all the same. But we do that and like, oh, with that group, you're in that club. Tribalism
1: and anyway. No, I I think that humans are tribalistic. I think there's there's no way around it. But the the thing the thing is that recognizing moments of tribalism, sometimes tribalism is good. Like, generally speaking, a healthy amount of nationalism is not a bad thing, right? Why not do things to make sure the people within your country are safe and have the best possible outcome? Like, you need a nationalistic view to advocate for those things. But it's when it kind of runs amok, you know, it, it's when it becomes that is the sole way of doing things. is the sole way of um, moving forward or gaining power or all these different things. And it becomes like a manipulation point. Um, so it's one thing to say, we need to secure our borders. It's another thing to say, well, we should actually uh, expend our borders and we should dominate our neighboring countries. And it's like, well, that, you know, yeah, I guess have nationalism, you believe that we're big and strong and powerful to do that. But you Know I think that might be taken in a mock. Like, well, we should do that because our neighbors are hideous people, they're terrible, and we find all these ways to rationalize going after the other group. And that's tribalism running amok. That's tribalism seeking power and and people who are at the top of the, the hierarchy deciding what we just what we do. Uh so in like in that example, that's the government who's at the top, who's making the military decisions as far as what we do. But there, there are certain aspects of tribalism when we talk about black Americans that I feel that has kind of run amok or being used as a manipulation point. And since I wrote the book, I I started writing articles and and just making commentary about stories that have come out. But I, I realized even actually, let me rephrase that. Even while writing the book, I started realizing that. And that's why my tone sounds the way it does when I'm writing the book as as kind of matter of fact and kind of understanding and empathetic is because I get it. I get that there are people who make a lot of money doing what they do to dictate how people should think, right? Black Americans or anybody else. I get that there are people who are elitists, who want to try to manage people, right? Like I see that all the time for all different types of demographic and different reasons. But I'm just thinking to myself, I understand why we're in the predicament that we are in. Now it's time to recognize that there's a lot of manipulation going on. And maybe this Black thing is a weak point as well as something of pride for some people. So what you're prideful in can also be your weakest point. And that's what we're seeing for a lot of Black Americans. They're so prideful to the point of Allowing someone to dictate what they do, or allowing people to speak for them, uh, allowing people in power to manipulate them based on what they look like, and I know it, it's a it's a very complicated thing. I know there's historical points. You know, someone would easily say we were forced to see ourselves as others. We were forced to see ourselves as blacks or colored or whatever term at the time. Um, And we had to live our life separately than everybody else. But what was done in the past doesn't mean that we have to continue in the future. Right? So, you know, uh, there's there's a lady, her name is Dr. Sheena Mason. She has a theory called racelessness. And basically her theory is race is a social construct and race allows for racism to exist. So in order for racism to never exist, race has to disappear. That's the essence of it and i think we're far from that point point. and i think personally i think if race was to disappear we would find something else you know because as that's, humans that's we, that's,
0: that's just human nature is like right point out point out something that's different and and destroy it or yeah
1: yeah i've heard people say well when we're all mulatto and we all look then racism won't exist like no Because there will be people who are mulatto and have green eyes versus the ones who have brown eyes. And they're like, look at the green eyes, they're oppressing us. (laughs) Well you know, there'll always be something.
0: There is. And are you familiar with Dr. Seuss, the Sneeches?
1: Uh yes, Dr. Seuss, but the Sneeches, I don't know what the The, the Sneeches on
0: the beaches, the star bellied Sneeches. Does that sound familiar? No. Okay, you gotta see it because I it was it was a story and it's a cartoon written 50 years, over 50 years ago. And it is prophetic about, I'll just give a synopsis. There's these little creatures. They're called the Sneetches. And half of them, there's the yellow birds and half of them have these stars on their bellies and half of them don't. And of course they're isolating each other. Like, oh, you can't play with us because you're, you don't have a star on your belly. And then this guy comes to town, this entrepreneur businessman. And he's like, ah, oh, guess what? I have this machine that if you pay me, <laughs> a couple dollars each, I will put a star on your belly. So he charges them to get stars on their bellies. And then the original star bellied ones are mad because now everyone's the same. And then they want the stars gone. So the guy says, well, I have this machine and it can take the stars off your bellies. And so they, they just keep going through this revolving door. And I, Mm. you you can, you can, you can substitute race or religion or politics for each one of these groups. And the guy in the middle is the politician that's just making bank because there's money in the battle.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it,
0: yeah You got to watch it. It's it'll blow your mind because it's literally, it's it. The guy was a prophet. It's mind blowing.
1: Yeah, I, I think that I think this is also this is partly human nature, human nature, and this is uh, about power as well. There are always going to be people who are attracted to certain positions uh, who are more sociopathic, who are very attracted to being in leadership roles or attracted to power, right? So there's a reason why most people, like even myself, I have no desire to get into politics, right? But then there are certain people who have this certain kind of mentality and certain kind of vision where they're like, I want into politics, I want that. And sometimes, it's not for the best of reasons. Uh, Sometimes it's for the worst of reasons. Sometimes it's about having the light shining on them. Sometimes it's about having power no matter what. That's why sometimes I look at the federal government, I just see a bunch of ruthless people who will say anything and everything to get a vote. They will sell their own family out. They will hide uh, stuff. They'll go against their principles. They'll live a life without principles. They'll do just about anything. Uh, and rationalize anything to do something that supports their side or supports uh, their own personal uh, uh, ranking, you know, increasing in rank within politics. So, you know, these people are always going to exist. And I think it's it's the human nature part uh, to find some sort of weak point, to find that I actually just wrote an article about it. Find that thing that you can pander to in politics. And race is one of them. Um, I, I just wrote the article today talking about, uh, as someone who was a former Democrat, and today I'm an independent, who left the Democrats because it started realizing that they they accentuate uh, the usage of identity politics. And they they behave in a way that's disingenuous, insulting, condescending, You know, I use the example uh, during the 2020 primaries for the Democrats, the very first debate, I forgot it was the very first debate until I looked it up, the very first debate, Beto O'Rourke and Cory Booker are battling out in Spanish. And I'm just like, what am I watching? Why are they doing this? Who asked them to do this? And they both had the same idea, two different political camps had the same idea, go out there and flash your Spanish. We need to get that Hispanic vote. Like it's, it's so mind-numbingly insulting. You know, I would see them get around black people and all of a sudden they're talking about reparations. And I'm like, I listen to people all the time. They never talk about reparations. And then when, You know, they're in front of Black people, then all of a sudden they care about reparations. We need to do something about reparations. Then they go to New Hampshire, not a peep about reparations. You never hear about reparations ever again. And it's that kind of political pandering that they're using identity groups to signal, right? It's, It's just empty gestures. It's signaling, we're getting your attention. And they'll never do anything about it. Why? Because it is a point of manipulation. It's a weak spot. And you don't get rid of a vulnerability when you're, you've you been exploiting it. Why would you do that? You know, it kind of reminds, as an IT guy, it reminds me of, uh, I, I'm going to mess up the details, so I'm not even going to give details, but it reminds me of how one company figured out that there was this really big exploit that was available. I think it was like a Microsoft exploit And no one ever reported it. Oh, no, that's what it was. The CIA, I think it was the CIA, knew that there was this major exploit for for Microsoft, but they never reported it. They never said anything. Why? Because they were using it. (laughs) Right? The security state knew about this exploit. They're like, yeah, we take take advantage of it all the time. That's how we get all this information. And they never reported it. And it wasn't until Microsoft realized that this is massive exploit and they patched it up and they, you know, they realized what was going on, but, you know, you don't get rid of an exploit when it works, and and race and identity is that exploit, and and people in power and politicians will take advantage of it, so, um, that's why I decided to leave the Democrats and I, and I remain independent because I'm also fearful that Republicans will start doing the same thing, and I've seen certain instances of it, um, but it's not like it's not their platform. Like, what can we do to get the Black vote? Like, I, I haven't heard that language yet. I, I've heard it multiple times, overwhelmingly obvious times on the Democrat side.
0: Because I came from the Republican side to the Independent. I'm in the middle now, too. And when you, I found that when you leave one side or the other, you're really sensitive to the things that the other side, the side you used to come from, are saying. Yeah. And- and I, my, my basic premise is that both sides are lying to us and using it. To us some and degree. Saying, yeah. and, 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 and how do you know, I mean, but we'll fight you, you social media will fight to the death for our side. But I'm like, how do you even know what your side is saying is accurate? How do you know? Do your homework. Well, how do I know my homework is the fact checkers? <laughs> how do I know? How do you know? But, and and it, it just, again, there's money in the fight, the Dr. Seuss reference. And yeah. if as long as we're fighting and amongst each other, then they can we're not paying attention to what they're doing, you know. Pay attention and pay no attention to the man behind the curtain.
1: He yeah. can do
0: whatever he wants because we're too busy out here in the playground fighting with each other over stupid things that just don't matter. Or maybe they do matter, but
1: yeah, it, they're 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 minimal issues. You know, I think the same thing about like abortion. It's like how many times have the Democrats actually Obama when he's in office, Obama had for four years, the entire federal government, you know, the Senate, Congress and the executive, they could have passed a law codifying Roe v. Wade, as they put it, but they didn't. Why? Because it's not that important to them. It's always going to be an issue that they could say, they're trying to take your access. <laughs> the Republicans are trying to control women's body. They'll always have this as an issue. And that's why, that's why they never do anything about it. You know, it is an exploit. It's a point of manipulation. It invokes an emotional response from certain people. Um, That's what happened when we saw Roe v. Wade disappear and invoked an emotional response from the most hardened, we call them pro-choice, but for those people, I think it was turned into pro-abortion activists. And it got some sort of emotional reaction and politicos in dc like this is gonna change the election all of a sudden people are gonna be like screw the economy i can't get an abortion like (laughs) it's just so it's so when you you understand what i'm saying when you see it it it's it just becomes just one big funny funny game it's sad and funny because that
0: these fools are in charge have you ever seen mr smith goes to washington
1: no I haven't. It's no. it's
0: a Jimmy Stewart film where this just average guy gets voted he gets he gets not a senator dies or something anyway he ends up going and serving in that position and he's just a good dude with common sense and he and they start trying to co-opt him and and change him and mold him into what they want him to be and he's just like no I'm not, I no these are wrong I'm going to stand on my principles and it was I I think I still have faith that that can happen that mm. an average farmer can go to Washington and, and make some change, but, but it's, ooh, unless you have bags of cash, it's hard to, <laughs> hard to, hard to do that.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know the lobbying power back in those days, uh, but it, it is heavy, Yeah. heavy.
0: Yeah. It's disturbing, honestly. And, and, and we're just fighting and fighting and fighting. And one of my things I'm trying to do with, you know, with the show is, is to have, have have people on that maybe on the service I won't agree with, mm-hmm. and then uh, for example I had uh, my cousin. She's from Berkeley, and fa- whole family's from Berkeley, and Berkeley's just a wee bit liberal if you haven't noticed. <laughs> and uh, so I had her on about the Roe v. Wade thing when it first came out. I said, "Can I have you on? I want your opinion. I want I want to know what you think about this." And and she like for, took for took her a couple weeks before she could can, you know get her composure enough to to come on and it was a great discussion that on the surface people were like oh that's going to be a battle you know get your get your popcorn and watch that one go Mm -hmm. and it wasn't it was just her why she feels the way she feels and we we came away i learned some things and the 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 extremes are always poking on either side. And yeah. on the on the conservative side, you always hear, oh, they just want abortion on demand and drive-throughs because they just, you know, they're just sleeping around. There's whores and they don't even care. They're just murdering babies. That's not true. And I don't think the Republicans want to control all women's bodies like the, the left says. I think that's an extreme exciting talking point that gets people fired up. It's emotions mm-hmm. going. And if we just sat down for two seconds and looked each other in the eye, we would realize that maybe that's you know, put the human in the other side or whatever side. Yeah. You know, which we, we...
1: Yeah. And I think that um I always think about this guy who who follows me. And I talked to him on the phone uh one time, uh, who follows me on Twitter, and he said, You know why I follow you? Because you're normal. <laughs> Right. And it's like, we have all these people who just like say wild stuff. And they live in this like alternate reality. And I'm someone who's been poor, who's been homeless, who's built himself up, uh, who's sustainable, who hasn't, you know, uh, well, I'm making some sort of a career change, but who has a career just like a normal person, right? Who's a father. And I'm like, the reality that these people are talking about, doesn't exist, you know, for the vast majority of people, like, I don't know who they're talking about. They live in this ideological world where they see themselves as kings and they think that everybody else is just stupid and peasants. And, And, and it's, it's so weird to, to look at. And I'm like, I'm just a normal person who likes to write. That's basically it. And it's so funny because the rational people look like radicals. That you know, that's that's the hyper reality, at least in the media that we see. Everybody has some hot take, everybody's trying to find some hot take. And then someone says something very rational and calm, and it goes viral. And it's like yeah. go figure. <laughs> <laughs> go figure. It's because yeah. everybody is so extreme.
0: <laughs> yeah, that just that just common sense common sense looks radical. So I exactly. think, I think you could be Mr. Smith and go to Washington.
1: I would hate it very much. And they would hate me.
0: <laughs> it would be tough. It would be, tough. It would be tough. I
1: would do one term. As soon as I find out actually, cause a lot of people don't know this, uh, our, our politicians in DC are basically telemarketers, uh, they go in an office they sit in a cubicle and they call people they're not allowed to get money while being on a government premise so they actually go to a call center so imagine your your local congressman sitting in a call center <laughs> and calling up lobbying firms and calling up donors like as soon as i heard that i was like oh i'd never want to do that
0: <laughs> high pressure i've sales. worked at a call
1: center yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's impressive. just like that's wild that's how much money rules everything that they have to turn themselves they have to pimp themselves out i heard i heard people retire specifically because they're like i can't do this anymore i cannot be a call center employee i'm supposed to be a congressman i'm sitting here calling people begging for money like it just seems like a weird uh, and messed up system is unproductive um yeah so i don't i don't even know I don't know about that. At least that's that's what I know from the federal government at least. Well, it's <clears throat>
0: right now I have a high school associate who's actually running against Gavin Newsom in California for governor. He's a farmer, literally a farmer. Mm-hmm. And he's been a, he's been a state senator for 13 years and a, and a county representative for, you know, pushing 25 he's been in politics, but he's still a farmer. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have bags of cash and I'm just praying that that he gets a shot because Newsom has just, he, he's the elite and he's got all the money. And and that seems to be, that's how you win it is who has the bags of cash. And, you know, he's definitely in a David versus Goliath situation, but like that guy's got more common sense in his back pocket than, than all of Washington DC.
1: Oh yeah. They'll probably I mean, never I mean, make it. Especially uh, Gavin Newsom. Like there's there's just no there's no common sense there.
0: It's it's tough to find, and again, this is where now I don't know Gavin Newsom. Um, the media is feeding us what they want about Gavin Newsom and Beto O'Rourke or DeSantis or Trump or Biden. We know what the media feeds us about them. Mm-hmm. And and you can always tell what, what news source people are are listening to by how riled up they get for one side or the other. It's it's fascinating. We're all being lied to. It's a conspiracy.
1: <laughs> I mean, to some degree, that's how people that's how people benefit. Usually, what I actually what I started doing was uh, I I had a political awakening, uh, realizing I was being lied to, like just overtly lied to and i'm like i can't trust these people like i see like anybody else if you lie to me all the time i can't be like oh i just arbitrarily trust you doesn't mean that you you'll never uh tell me the truth but my trust in in the mainstream media is extremely low and now i what i do is i look at um source material i look at the actual speech You know, like if they say Gavin Newsom wants X, Y, and Z, I wanna hear Gavin Newsom say what he actually wants, right? Not Gavin Newsom proposes an amazing, no, no, no. I wanna hear from Gavin Newsom's mouth. So now like if I'm on Twitter, I see the video of Gavin Newsom saying what he actually wants to do, and then I can be critical of what he actually said. And to me, that makes way more sense than what I was doing before. Where I turn on MSNBC and they say Gavin Newsom proposes this bill that would stop homelessness. Oh, look at him. He's so generous. Like, (laughs) so amazing. Yeah. He's so amazing. And now I'm just like, okay, how is that going to work? What exactly is he going to do? They're going to do what? That makes no sense whatsoever. Why would anybody do that? You know, I get to now hear from the horse's mouth because now I'm curious. Now I'm questioning things now I'm being critical. and this goes for for people on both sides where you know I uh, there was a, a political ad coming from a Republican um, where I can't remember his name. he's a newcomer, but he basically had a political ad where he had guns and he was theoretically shooting Klansmen, right saying the, the Democrats are Klansmen. And I'm watching as like right wing blue checks are like, oh, my God, this is awesome. So funny. And I said, I don't like this whatsoever. And I explained exactly why the left does this stuff, too. And I don't like it. It's like this remnants of the of the black past. And it's supposed to bring out some sort of black trauma. I don't like this. I don't like the way anybody plays this game. And it's not good. And I had I had blue check people say, you know what? I didn't really think about it like that, and you're right. And it, it is so. I'm trying to be fair, and I'm be I'm critical. I I wrote an article criticizing Trump, but saying like he has some good qualities, he has some bad qualities. He's his own worst enemy, and I wouldn't vote for him if DeSantis is the other option. And I had Trump people, some of them reaching out to me, but I had a lot of people saying I voted for Trump, but yeah, I picked DeSantis over it. So I've been critical on on both ends. I'm not a I'm not a sycophant. Uh, you know, I didn't jump ship from one ship to the other ship. I'm staying right in the middle because if you told me uh, five years ago that the Democrats would completely abandon women and say that transgender people or transgender men are or transgender women are women and and you can mutilate children, like I'd be like, no, that's crazy. Like no one, no one would, no one would sign up for that. And here we are. So who knows in five years what Republicans would say about anything. But right now, if I'm to, to specifically choose, one side is making more sense about basics. That's, and that's the crazy part is like, I feel like we're back to basics. The basics of, hey, maybe we shouldn't teach children about sex. I don't know. Call me crazy.
0: <laughs> it's a little too soon.
1: It's a little too soon. You know, maybe we shouldn't teach elementary kids about masturbation. Why is that even an agenda? Why is that even a question? Right. And so like for me, I'm just kind of like, I'm not even picking a side. You're forcing me to pick a side. Like none of this makes any sense. This is highly inappropriate. Um, And so uh, uh, Newsweek, I don't know if it came out, but Newsweek asked me to write a blurb, not specifically who I'm voting for, but what I'm voting for. And I said, anybody that is about protecting children, anybody, and if if you're about to do the best thing possible to protect children, whether it's in the room because I am pro-life or whether it's in the classroom or away from sexual perversion and, and especially operated by state employees, like I'm for that person, I'm for that party. At this particular moment. So that's who I'm voting. That you know, that's what I'm voting for. And it, it just seems so crazy that that the Democrats have abandoned all reasoning and they've just gone to the social progressivism that doesn't make any sense. You know, I feel like my politics are from like the 2000s <laughs> It's like I haven't changed, but they have. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, you know, Bill, you're familiar with Bill Maher.
1: Yeah. You
0: now he's he says, I haven't changed. The Democratic Party has changed. You know, whatever, you know, fill in whatever party you want has changed, you know, and how dare you judge an idea on its merit? You know, well, you see these, you see these, these things where people will go out on the street and say, hey, what do you think of these ideas? And then they'll tell someone, oh, that was Trump saying that. If if they agree with them, they'll say, well, Trump said that. Like, no way. And they almost don't, they almost want to take back their, you know, their answer. Yeah. That, 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 because, like well, the, the idea was good two seconds ago, but as soon as I told you, what if Biden said that and it was a good idea, would you like it then? Not if they're in the Trump camp, they won't. They're like, wow. yeah, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Just it's, well, it's a good idea. No matter where it comes from, let's embrace it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I remember I didn't have Trump derangement, but I didn't like Trump. Um, but he did a couple of things that I that I liked that I thought was like, yeah, why the hell not? Even as, as much as I just like, I don't really like the guy, right? And there are reasons why, which were lies. That's, you know, that led for me to not like him. And now I'm just kind of like, he's just a guy. Like, I don't hate him. I don't love him. I'm not, I don't have a hat or anything like that. <laughs> but, you know, when he wanted to have re- relationship with North Korea, I was like, yeah why not but you want us to be adversarial so he so they feel like they, they can't like i don't know why diplomacy is seen as a weakness like yeah. have some sort of diplomacy the isolation doesn't work look at cuba has that helped has that helped either of us no cuba stagnant but how has that benefited anybody you know have some sort of relations. so Yeah, know
0: befriend your neighbor that's the bully versus trying versus always wondering what he's going to do next. I guess how dare you try? Yeah, yeah,
1: and it doesn't mean that you, and that I think we fall into that culture where we say if you associate, right, if you even talk, all of a sudden you're guilt by association. So like if we have conversations with North Korea that we must co-sign on torturing people, we co-sign on treating you know human human rights issues. we co-sign all of that just from having a conversation and say, hey, maybe don't build any nukes. you know uh, so it's it's such a weird dynamic uh, but it's also this idea of thinking that when it comes to foreign policy that there are angels. <laughs> it's just how how bad of a person do you actually just want to associate with because we got plenty of people that we associate with who are not angels that we're perfectly fine with being in power and so there it's not perfectly fine for them to be in power <laughs> yeah until it's a problem yeah yeah
0: you can't you can't talk to the other side because you will by doing so you you adopt their policy and you you exactly owe you. well as an example there was in my, uh, on my sales team, um, one of the ladies, she said, oh, you're a, you're a total liberal now. And I said, well, that's, that's new. I've never been accused of that before in my life based, <laughs> based on what? And she says, well, there was an idea that your daughter was talking about that you said was a good idea. So she put me in that camp just because I said, Hey, that's a good idea. And my mm-hmm. daughter's on the left. And I'm like, Wow. That was that, It took no effort at all to put me in that
1: box. You know, it was wild. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But you know what's crazy is, unfortunately, that person is generally right. You know, we have liberal ideas, and and you can't. I used to complain before. I was like, you know, if the de- when I was a Democrat, I was like, if Democrats want like a wider net, they have to kind of have some leeway on the the pro-choice thing. Like, mm-hmm. how come it feels like there are no pro-life Democrats? I'm sure there are, but they don't ever talk about them, and they, they feel, uh, you know, a completely different type of way when they when they do say something, you know. So it, I used to ask, like, how come? And this is when I was pro-choice, but I was just kind of like, how come there are no pro-life Democrats? Why is that the case? And if you go around saying I'm pro-life, automatically you're a Republican, you're yep. conservative. Yeah. You know, so it's the same. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah.
0: We just got to we got to talk to each other, which we've forgotten how to do, really.
1: Or or I think the other at, uh, part of it is we don't talk to each other. I think part of the problem is that we talk too much about politics. Well, I know we, there's that old
0: saying that don't talk about religion or politics or sex at at Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. But my philosophy is that I think we can do it in a way if if both sides are genuinely interested in learning from the other. There's I think there's a way.
1: I think I think there's a way, but I also think there's a reason why most people didn't brandish their politics. Like I understand it more so today and it's because politics is personal to people. Like so when you, when you criticize an idea, even if you're not trying to, you're criticizing that person. Why? Because they subscribe to that that political idea. So they're taking offense to it. Right. It reminds me of, of someone I knew. He would be like, uh, your guy, Tucker. I was like, your your I guy. Tucker?
0: Yeah, your guy. I, I get it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm like, I never even, t- I never, I never talked to him and said, I watched Tucker. I never told him I don't watch Tucker. Like he just said, your guy Tucker. And I was just like, I don't even really watch the show. Like, I don't even, I don't even know like, where did you get that from? And he's, he's already formulated this. I, I call it the avatar. He's formulated this avatar of, of what I believe of who I am because I have some right-leaning viewpoints. And, and so I can't, I can't fight that. And it, it becomes, I think ultimately what happens is some people treat politics kind of like a sport. And I saw that more and more, you know, even people in the Trump camp, you know, people wear Yankees hats where I live at. Guess what? They wear a Trump hat. They're showing what team they're on. Like it's the same stuff. It's, it's team, team sports. And I think there's something dangerous about that because the vast majority of Yankees fans, Go home and live the rest of their life and realize that it was just a game, even though the Yankees lost, right? But it's not personal to them. You know, maybe for a small fanatic, fanatical group, yeah. it is, but it's for the most part not personal to them. They're disappointed that they lost, but they're not going to <laughs> write letters to, uh, you know, to the, the GM and go crazy because they lost. They have that disconnect. But for this, they're having a sport about it and it's personal and it's not the same. It's not the same feeling. And I don't think a lot of people know how to discuss something like this where it's personal um, and they don't have the sensitivity behind it. Like you understand you can you can be like, okay, they criticize an idea that I believe in. So let me ask some questions about it and I'll take this whole offense. But most most people don't have that. I, I actually said on, on Twitter, um, <laughs> this is a little bit off topic, but you've heard people say like, oh, you're you're well-spoken, right? And some people like want to take it as a slight. And I'm like, why would you take that as a slight? Like, have you heard people talk? Like there are people who don't know how to express themselves. <laughs> they yeah. don't know how to even, hey, how do you feel about this? I don't know. Like, you don't even know how to express how you feel about a particular thing that you like. And so, yeah, if someone is well-spoken, that is a compliment. It is always a compliment. I don't, I don't care if you think that's there's some backhanded statement. It is a compliment because most people don't know how to communicate properly. And if they don't know how to communicate properly about how they feel, they don't know how to communicate to the point of not offending someone, <laughs> you know, that they're not trying to offend. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Just master the English language, please, first. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Well, and and we're so in a
0: hurry, and and the, the, you know the the social media and the the, the tension spans are zero. To so to have a conversation like like you and I are having, which you know the porch talk, which doesn't happen anymore. We just do these drive bys, and those are easier.
1: Mm-hmm. It doesn't
0: solve anything, but yeah, <clears throat> I get you. Yeah, I think I think we can. I, you know that's that's one of the things I'm. That's kind of my life goal is trying to figure out how to be an example of talking and because those you know politics does animate people and i think mm-hmm. if you well why why do you think why is trump the best thing since chocolate you know tell me why <laughs> and i'm not being an asshole about it i just want to know why i don't yeah. not trying to like even mention it and then they're they're on guard ready to, to you know fight to go to blows and fight to the death for whatever side
1: yeah yeah. yeah, I think uh, uh, the more people just look at the idea, look at the policy and try to hold the same standard from one side to the other, you know, do that the best you can, I think I think you'll have a a healthier outlook on it, but also like if you're someone who is on social media and you see this just understand that crazy people are on social media too. And and just because you see someone say something utterly insane doesn't mean your neighbor thinks the same thing. Doesn't, it doesn't mean your boss thinks the same thing. Crazy people get a lot of attention, especially when an algorithm is involved that will help boost it. So yeah. I always keep that in mind. Like I'll see someone say something highly irrational and I'm like, yeah, but I, I've worked a real job and people don't talk like this and people don't think this way. Like, so yeah. I understand that they're a crazy person who's looking for attention.
0: Yeah, you're going into the virtual world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 exactly
0: well hey i i uh, feel like we've kind of gotten off topic on the book is there anything else you want to share about it as we kind of get closer to wrapping up or or anything that you i didn't touch on i'm sure we can no, go I, on for hours
1: no basically um you know the book came out last year it's been a, a blessing that people want to read it i uh, i don't know if people think i'm joking. But when I published the book, I self-published it uh, because I didn't want to be censored and I didn't want to fight for people to access my thoughts. So I just self-published it, and I didn't have any expectations. I didn't know if ten people were going to buy it, ten thousand people. I have no, you know, I have no expectations about it. My purpose of writing it was to express myself and to to pass on something for my son as a as a legacy, and so I. I accomplished those things. My son read my book. He liked the book and he, and he felt like he understands me a little bit more as well from my book. Um, So everything else to me has just been, it's been icing on the cake. Like I'm, I'm ecstatic that people like it. I've had people say, I've highlighted this and you know, going back and I reread your book three times. Like, I'm just like, you know, I'm just a dude. I'm a computer guy who wanted to express himself. And so now I'm I'm to the point today where um, starting in December, I'm taking a, a reduced role at my regular job because I've, I've been working a regular job and I'm pursuing writing and I'm pursuing um, more avenues related to writing. Um, you know, next week I'll be in London, I'll be I'll be on a trigonometry Um uh, maybe on GB news and talk radio while I'm out there. I'm having all these different opportunities coming up and uh, people appreciate my voice. People appreciate a rational, common sense voice because there are a lot of people who just scream and yell and hyper partisan. And uh, I have people who are Democrats and Republicans who follow me, who are just kind of down the middle and just rational people. So that's that's basically um, where my life is taking me today, and I'm, I'm gonna see, see what comes from it.
0: Well, it, it, it's a just all I can keep thinking about is just content of character, and that's what, that's what I've, that's what I'm getting out of this now is all these other superficial things we define ourselves with just don't matter. Are you a good human? Are you a good person? And that's what I sensed when I heard you talking to, to Dexter.
1: I'm like, yeah. I
0: gotta have, I gotta have this guy on because this people <laughs> need to hear this. Just like say, just an average, you know, average average Joe, you know, as they say, you know, Yeah. but um, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say one last thing. Um, My, my life, my life goal is to, to have a general positive impact on the world. You know, whatever I try to do, I just try to have a positive impact on the world. Um, I don't have any malice. There are people obviously I don't agree with. Uh, There are people that I think are malicious And I think they deserve strong language, but um, I'm not hyper-partisan, and I I generally want to have a positive impact on the world, and especially starting with the conversation about fathers and single parenthood.
0: Well, you're going to do it, man, I'm sure. And uh, I appreciate you taking time and being here and and sharing this with, with me and my audience. Um, what's the best way, how, how can people find this and find you and follow you and, and give me all those details.
1: Uh, yeah, for the book, you can buy it on Amazon, Black Victim the Black Victor. Um, if you don't want to buy direct from Amazon, you can go to wrongspeak.net, purchase it from there, uh, where I sell signed copies and non-signed copies. Um, you can definitely find me on Twitter at wrong underscore speak. Um, I'm the most active there. Facebook, it's wrongspeakadam instagram is wrong underscore speak um and i'll actually tell you first person um i will be at america fest in phoenix this december Uh, i'll be there with a booth so if people want to meet me or uh, want to send copy of my book uh definitely stop by
0: perfect man i uh thank you again appreciate you being here Thank you again for listening to the parish, the thought show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. Thank you again for listening to the show. I really appreciate the time you spend to hear the words and hear our guests. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please send an email to parishpodcast at gmail.com. That's parishpodcast at gmail.com. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish the Thought Show.